the diamond, I realised the diamond. The Museum presents Mile and My Shoes. These are skater shoes, like a cheap imitation version of Converse that everyone will know. Rubber sole and canvas top with a rubber toe. These are a size 8 and they look well used. White laces. It looks like there's been bleach poured on them. Actually looks quite cool. The bleach has uh, had the effect of making it look mm, almost very light tainted orange against the grey. They're actually from New Look, which I believe is a store exclusively for women's clothes and accessories. These shoes belong to Kamal Hussein. This is his story. My name's Kamal Hussein and I'm 49 years old. I was born in Baghdad and I came to England when I was two years old. I am an Arab, so, you know, it's there. So, did I feel Arab? Yes, I did, but I didn't want to. I remember going through a phase of lying in bed at night and closing my eyes and trying to imagine a naked woman. And the ritual was the same every time. I would start at the head and, you know, imagine hair, face, neck, moving down and then, you know, uh, breasts, but which were always small, um, and then moving further down and then there was, you know, into the belly. And then by the time I got to the groin, it was a man, without question, every time. And it was hell because I... It meant that I couldn't deny it anymore, that it, not, at least to myself. Dad and mum, to an extent, but lesser had made very clear his views about gay people. We're talking about the era of Boy George. We're talking about the gender bending that was happening in the early 80s. So I knew this was going to be a problem. So I did my best to not be it. I had my first sexual experience with a man. And it happened in a public toilet in the largest village in our area. And it was completely accidental. You know, I'd gone in because I needed a wee. And in there was a guy who was masturbating. And one thing led to another because I suddenly went, oh my God, this, oh. <laughs> and went for it, you know, and I sort of surprised myself, I think, by that. Uh, and it was all over very quickly, and it, you know, it was, there's nothing satisfying about it at all. But it, it, you know, there it was, and I sort of came out of the loo, and my mum was in the shop, and you know, sort of slightly sweating and and embarrassed, and you know, but I was a teenager, so I guess that she passed a lot of that off to the fact that I was often mumbling and embarrassed, and you know, and then went home and really tore into myself a lot about it, you know, really, really uh, went, that's it, you know, that uh, there's no coming back from that was my attitude. And really went through a rough time and, and started acting out a lot at home and, you know, the tension between that, me and my father just got worse and worse and worse. 
because I had no way of expressing what I was feeling because I was so terrified of the reaction. And going hand in hand with racism is often homophobia. So you, I couldn't feel I could come out to anybody. But I learned that you can find people in public toilets. So that began. And I would do that more and more often. And eventually I met a guy. And we started a relationship. He was 23. He knew that I was only 16. The age of consent in 1984 was 21. And people were being prosecuted. And we spent a few months together and he'd started getting nervous about the age difference. And I think that he got scared. So he wrote my parents a letter asking for their blessing on our relationship. I got home from school one day and they were home, which was unusual for dad to be home at that time. And they'd got the letter and mum was crying. Dad was angrier than I think I'd ever seen him in my life. And they asked me if it was true. And I think, I think they wanted so badly to believe that it wasn't true that they would have believed me if I'd have passed it off and said it was malicious or it was a joke or something like that. But I didn't. And I told them it was true. And I still think, even today, that that's the most mature decision I've ever made in my adult life, despite the consequences. Because... If I'd have lied, I'd have had to perpetuate that lie forever. And who knows, you know, I could be married with kids now and living an awful life, both for myself and for the woman that I'd married and, you know, God knows what that might put the kids through. Anyway, when I said it was true, it sounds overly dramatic, but my father, this is how it feels in my memory, my father flew across the room and pushed me down and had his knees on my shoulders and was punching me in the face. And he continually punched me in the face and he broke my nose and broke my jaw while my mum just sat there crying. And and then eventually he got off me and threw me out of the house, That literally out of the house. And that's it. I've never seen him since or spoken to him since. Now, despite the fact that there's no religion involved in this, it's not a Muslim issue because my father's an atheist. My mum's a liberal Canadian. They're both very left-wing in their politics. But this was a cultural gap that couldn't be bridged. So, um, that was that. I was homeless and ended up living on the streets for a year. And that time was such a confusion for me, you know, I was so it was, I had to learn how to survive. I spent my time wandering on the streets really, and um, I managed to sort myself out and got myself income support um, from the Dole at the time. In the winter, I would go around during the days and collect paper and then I'd go to a public toilet at night and shut myself into a cubicle and I'd burn the paper that I collected during the day to keep myself warm. Um, spreading my 
money out so that I could get food through the weeks. And then on Dole Day, I would get myself as spruced off as, as I could and I'd go off to the local gay club. And usually then I could get a bed for a night or two because I'd pull. And that, that was how I got through the year. Hello. Hi, Arthur. Hello. Hey, buddy. Have you had a nice walk? Have you had a nice walk with your daddy? Have you? Hi, this is Tom. Hello. Good boy. I met Tom um, almost 15 years ago. Uh, I was immediately attracted to him. I thought he was gorgeous. Um, gave him all of my best moves, and he didn't even know I existed. Nothing. And completely ignored me. <laughs> he's the smartest. He's literally the smartest dog in the world ever. <laughs> he's so loving and he's so bright that you just... Well, I, I, I didn't think I could ever love something that much, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> not even you, Tom. No, not even <laughs> I proposed to him six months into the relationship and uh, I planned it all and I got a ring and everything. And uh, I got down on one knee. Uh, in the living room. He cried for two hours before answering me. So I thought I'd done something horrific. Uh, and then he said yes. And later when I asked him why he cried, he said because I didn't think that that was ever going to happen for me. Uh, what are you finding in my pocket? <laughs> what's in my pocket? <gasps> you know what's in there. What's in there? Oh. Yeah, he's uh, certainly ruling the roost here now. Oh, dear. When I was growing up, nobody really knew where Iraq was or what it was. You know, it was just a, a you know, vaguely if they did a bit of geography, they could point it out on a map and that was about it. They knew nothing about Iraq. Um, but it became a talking point in terms of Gulf Wars, the rise of ISIS, the attitude in the West towards the Arabs. And so when people would find out I was Iraqi, it, it, it's that really that sort of brought me to this position where I started going, you know, I need to be honest about this. I need to say this is how things are. And weirdly, I had almost no Arab friends at all. And I think because I'd spent all of that time rejecting it for, for a long time, I had been quite literally, and even when I started embracing it, felt like the only Arab in the village. And I had to start making connections. And so in the same way that people looked at me differently because suddenly I was gay, positively or negatively... There is an element of that, and it's on a much, much smaller scale, but even close friends are going, when did you become an Arab? In a way, that's a similar question to, when did you first know you were gay? And it's, you know, despite it being a joke, you know, it made me think about it. And so here suddenly I am. It's now an integral part of who I am, how I present myself to the world, and indeed the work I make. So things feel more rounded than they had. He's all right, isn't he? He's all right. He's all right. It's weird. It's how we would always describe it as he's made as a family. Yeah, definitely. You know, properly. He's, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful little dog. You going to give me the ball? No, I'm not going to give you the ball. <laughs> Kamal's story was produced by Andrea Rangecroft. His shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the Empathy Museum's A Mile in My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world, 
Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we are going next.